welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Um, this wasn't very much fun this week, guys. And by my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn, who is, as of late, joined as always by his dog, Boone, sitting right at his feet. Oh, that's, that's, been, a, that's been a new addition this year. Yes, it has. It's been lovely. Hey, Bo- Boone. Boone has been around for a few years, but he has not been a podcast member until, until this season. And is it a coincidence that we're four and two? I don't know, but he's kind of acting like a therapy dog to Matthew right now. He is. Curling up at his feet. It's nice to have. I would love to have him over here by me. Whispering sweet comforts into my ear. (laughs) Gosh, we all need it. I was thinking earlier today um, that this week would be going so much better. And my work day would not be as difficult as it is right now if the Browns just had of beating the Steelers. Think about how much more efficient i would have been at work today oh if, my gosh if i would have just been operating at optimum capacity so so i disagree on that because oh, i that's, actually that's think how if, it works for me i actually think if the browns were five and one you would be at a whole new level of distracted you would be like looking at super bowl schedules you would be looking at all sorts of things no no, no. i just every nothing can go wrong whenever like the that's going on i get distracted and start thinking about all kinds of crazy stuff like whenever the browns suck like i start like wondering about stuff and like thinking and like trying to make sure that the quotes that are coming out of the building like have a positive tone versus like a negative tone but like is anything starting to unravel like these are all the things that start to happen i just feel good and like i can hit the ground running and do whatever's in front of me if if the browns win are you actually more efficient or do you just feel better that's a good question yeah. i don't know his, <laughs> his dopaminergic structures are firing at all cylinders so he's like man that was a great day <laughs> loving it loving it everything has been good um but that's in fact a lie everything has not been good yesterday was miserable it was awful everything about it was bad um from the beginning to end i think it's fair to say that getting an absolute spanking from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just a bare bottom spanking. It, it felt like death. I'm not going to lie. With as optimistic and excited I was, the fact that we are four and two, which is very exciting, but our two losses are by over 30 points and to, to our division rivals, <laughs> our most hated division rivals, just feels. Yeah. Well, so we've had a day to digest it. Like, how are you feeling about this loss now? I mean, the Browns are four and two, but it, we had these big lopsided losses to our division rivals. Like, how are you feeling about that game yesterday? Now that you're sitting here, twenty four hours removed. So, thinking back on it today, I I didn't go back and watch, but I did spend some time looking at kind of the play by play breakdown and and looking at the overall drive structure of of what we're dealing with shockingly similar to the loss to Baltimore in the first week. In week one. Um, we were 0 for 3 on fourth downs in both games. Uh, our turnover margin was was minus 2 in, or plus 2 in both games. It's the only – I looked at the fourth down conversions and turnover margin too. It's the only two games where we've had negative turnover margin. Yep. I, I think people are downplaying that a little much and not giving us – and not crediting the turnover margin enough in those in big game, wins that we've had. In the games that we won. Yeah. Correct. Because it, it makes a big difference. Um, and we were talking about this before we went on the air, but just how delicate an NFL game is. How quickly it can get out of out of hand. We we were dominated from the get-go. Like, 
Baker threw the pick six. We're down 10 nothing. Steelers' defensive line, outside linebackers, were, were winning at the point of attack. We, we couldn't get the push. Like, we were just getting beat. But then you have to reach for it, and it compounds, right? So, like, a, like I, I said this last year when we were playing the Titans in week one and we got blown out. Like, I don't feel any worse after a 38-7 to loss or whatever this was than I do after, like, a, a 10 or 13-point loss. Like, like, it feels the same. Things can just get out of hand when you're in a negative game script and you're trying to reach. Like, three straight drives ended on, on turnover on downs in the, in the second half. We gave up touchdowns on the corresponding Steelers drive on the first two. So, like, that, points. that iced the game there. It's over because we're reaching. I mean, we you have but here, here's the thing, though, is there was a significant period of time in this game where this game wasn't out of reach and the Browns just couldn't get anything going. I mean, we only allowed their offense to score three points through the whole first quarter. Yep. It wasn't like the Steelers were, you know, just ramming it down our throats the entire time. Like, the defense was getting some stops. The defense did not have a great day, I wouldn't say. No, no we, got, we got a fair number of stops. In but this we game. got a fair number of stops. Like, the defense did enough. The offense wasn't able to get, the, you know, anything going in order to, like, even this game up. And obviously, Baker gifted them seven points pretty much right off the bat with that pick six. But I think I felt like the defense got crushed in this game and we couldn't stop anybody when the game was over. Like that was the, that was like the yeah. way I felt about it. No. And when I went back and looked at it again, a second time through today, I was like, we really just couldn't get over the hump. And there was a hit. It, it's a delicate balance. Like it's, you a, just it's a delicate balance. We only gave up 277 yards. We were, we were in negative field position all day. Our, our defense was Steelers started in positive field position we held the Steelers to five for fourteen on third downs. That's that's it's good. Okay. Yeah, you you can win with that. Oh yeah, they were two for two on fourth down efficiency. They had less than three hundred total yards on the day. Two hundred and seventy-seven total yards. Yeah, I mean they, that's kind of all you need to know. They weren't just like running it up and down the field. They just them. didn't have to. I mean, they got the pick six. They got one touchdown drive was eighty-eight yards. Next touchdown drive was fifty yards. Here you go. They then 28-yard touchdown drive and a 55-yard touchdown drive. Like, if, we're, if we're pulling these, they only had three more passing yards than us. Yeah. So it's – I mean, <laughs> the point that sticks out to me is in these games, turnover margin matters. Absolutely. That hurt us more than probably anything in this game. So, all right, so let's put that off to the side. That was a, probably the biggest single factor if you look at you know the game. And then there's swing plays. There's like little plays. Like things, if you get something to go right or wrong, and just about every single time, everything went in the Steelers' direction in this game. And part of that's like preparation. Part of that is like winning at the line of scrimmage. There's a yeah, lot of stuff that goes I, into it. I but feel like it's largely driven just by we got beat in the trenches. And in the NFL, that's where you win or lose. We were 0 for 3 on fourth down. They were 2 for 2 because they were winning in the trenches. Yep, they're winning trenches. And even plays that were there that we didn't execute. Like early yep. on in the first half, Baker had a third down pass to OBJ that moves the chains and keeps the drive moving. And he sails it over OBJ's head. Like, there, you know, like that sort of play. There was 
untimely penalties, like when we were getting up to go for a fourth and four, and then we have a false start that puts us back, and we end up having to punt. Like, there's about five plays like that that happened that the Browns were kind of just shooting themselves in the foot. It felt also, like the the defeated season where, like, we just couldn't get out of our own way, like as microcosm in this game. I, I also thought it was interesting to hear Kevin Stefanski talk after this game about, and he said, there are plays that we tried to run today that I will never run again. Like, I learned the hard way. This is the first time Kevin Stefanski, as a play caller for the Browns, I don't know if they played, if the Vikings played the Steelers last year, has, has played this Steelers defense with this scheme. He, he now has kind of firsthand experience what it's – they are sending pressure. They are sending run blitzes on every down. And what that does is when you're running an offense like Stefanski's where there's pre-snap motion and you're, you're kind of trying to, like, move the guys, the linebackers, like, line of vision ahead of time – if you have Bud Dupree and TJ Watt crashing down and basically saying, no, I'm I'm going to push here. I'm going to be the bully, and I'm not going to yeah, let the Steelers you. Steelers are forcing the issue. I'm not going to let you mess around. What's going on. Yep. Like, Kevin Savansky needs to learn that lesson and put our players in a better position. And I just don't think things worked went, went our way because it was the first time we've tried to do this. And that Steelers, that Steelers front five, not, not even including their, like, Inside linebackers, every single one of those players is dominant right now. They destroyed us, and they destroyed us too. I mean, I think the the one play that signifies like the play calling, not you know, really probably being ideal for the matchup, and the talent of the Steelers like f- front line against the Browns offensive line yesterday, like just we we were outclassed yesterday. Uh, in the trenches uh, it, with that matchup was the beginning of the second half, the first drive, second down. Stefanski had what was probably a brilliant like play design. If you watch it, was it's a the, late the developing fake, screen fake, pass. Fake reverse to OBJ. Yeah. Probably screen pass to Kareem yeah. Hunt. That's and, what it looked like. And whether you if – you, if he'd handed it off to OBJ actually on that play, yeah. it goes for a number of yards. Yeah. But if the time – if they get enough time in order to run the screen pass, it might have gone the distance. And like there and was it, nobody around and to it guard wasn't, that. And it wasn't a bad play design because Hooper was coming around to block Yes, and he missed Bud Dupree. But Bud Dupree was just coming off the edge with a head of steam, not giving a right. shit about what was happening on the other side of him. Yeah, yeah. didn't and even they get were, a chip. It was, a, were, it was a clean. Yeah. it was a clean and, shot. At and Baker. If, if you've got defensive ends who are coming off the edge and don't care about contain, yeah, that messes everything up. If you need to alter your your plan and take advantage of them being so aggressive, right? And but they also were they were predicting our snap count throughout this entire game and i don't know, if it's, that, huge I don't know if it's that we weren't mixing it up or if it's just that the steelers studied film and were that good they were getting an insane jump off it the ball. is it felt ridiculous yeah it it really felt like a big brother little brother situation where they had our number on like every single little facet of the game and it it was ugly like it was not i'm not going to even try to make excuses but felt more like a daddy situation today. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be honest, I mean, we're all Browns fans. It was ugly. Oh. 
<laughs> I get, Go ahead, I get, Matthew. I can't help but laugh at you saying that because I'm your older brother and you being like, yeah, no, I could have handled my older brother. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, more of a daddy ex- deal. That was exactly the reason why I said it. <laughs> uh, so man, oh, wh- man. What, where do we go from here? I mean, what, what positives do we take away from, from this game? Well, I, I want to I want to get to that, but I also want to. We're on the negative train, and I feel like we got to keep we got to keep hitting it yeah, before. Just we keep run going back deeper. Um, what do you think, both of you? <laughs> what do you think that we can do when we play the Steelers team again at the end of the year with this offensive line, defensive line? Because we were really optimistic about our offensive line going into this game, and you're talking a little bit about it being scheme protection stuff like that. But do you think that there's a chance that we can, if their defensive line plays like this again, like? I don't see it going a lot of other directions. Here's the problem. The the Steelers' defense is top in the NFL in run defense and pressure. And so, we are top in the NFL. But they are near the, the back of the NFL in pass coverage. So going into this game, you knew that Baker Mayfield was going to have to beat the Steelers and keep them honest through the air, and that it probably was most likely to happen where you – loosen things up by beating them in the air and then it's going to free up some more space in the running game where they can't be quite as aggressive and going into the game you knew that baker was going to have to step up and do a little bit more than he's been asked to do in some of like these other matchups that we've had that that didn't happen this week now maybe some of it was scheme and stefanski was thinking he was going to have more time on some of the boot action and some of these things that the steelers just completely blew up and so maybe we can like scheme things up a little bit more but to me, at the end of the day, Baker Mayfield's going to have to be a lot more comfortable and step up and deliver some accurate throws in timely situations and be able to read the field. Yep. Uh, and like make some simple so, reads so, about like what's so, going on. So, so I've got I've got two things that I think we need to do. I think we need to do like simple half field reads. Just take advantage of their pass coverage. Mm-hmm. For, forget what the line is doing. Do, do simple two, three-man route concepts on one side of the field, maybe even roll Baker out to that side of the field, give him, give him that. I also think you take Kareem Hunt, motion him out of the backfield, take advantage of their linebackers in coverage because Devin Bush is now out, so they're running Vince Williams out there or whoever, whoever that guy was who, who replaced Devin Bush. That white but, hammer. But he was white. He so, was good. That's he, he well, played. He played well. He did play but, well, actually. Like I think that's. I don't think you can line up against those front three and run straight at them. I think you have to do misdirections. You've got to do quick passes. I wouldn't mind a wide receiver screen. Just get our guys against their defenders because, quite frankly, I'm not worried about their their corners on the edge or even their safeties other than Minka. Mm-hmm. So get yourself in space. Get that ball out. They've got the three big guys who are just blocking up, and then and then Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt coming off the edge. Let our other guys beat their defenders on the edge. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I want to go back to um, what you were talking about with Baker, Michael. Um, so I saw the stat earlier today that Baker's time, 3.3 seconds, snap to throw, was the longest of any QB in the NFL Yeah, I this think this week. is a little bit of a misleading statistic. Do you? Okay, yeah. but I... I think that that's something that has been the case in, and granted we're, we're, we're running a lot of play action and stuff like that. And boots. But, 
and like, and boots. Yes, and like think about how much longer a boot takes to get the the playoff. So like, but that is true. I will I will say that that does make sense. It is a misleading statistic, but it has also been something that Baker has struggled with, which is why it's catching wind and people are like, yeah. okay, yeah, Baker's doing this because when with the eyeball test, you look at it and you're like, yeah, Baker is holding the ball too long. He's not pulling the trigger when he needs to. But isn't it like a bit of? I, I agree with Mark. It's like a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy. Like Baker struggles with pulling the trigger. So people look so, it up. So <laughs> you do things like a boot or like long developing play action. Give him easier. Reads that gives him an easier read, which exacerbates the like time to throw problem and makes it and even more ha- like glaring. And then when he has to throw in, in a more timely situation, like in the pocket, yeah. like on a normal drop. And nothing worse could have happened than at the beginning of this game, whenever he threw an in rhythm throw across the middle of the field. And he just, it seemingly didn't make any reads at all because that safety was there the whole time. But he started off trying to make an in rhythm throw, and then he got burned for it. And then I fear that that's playing into. That's his... one of the most egregious interceptions I've ever seen. To be perfectly honest, like there's there's really I can't even explain it away. I mean, Minka, Minka just kind of shuffled down. Like he was at, there the whole the time. He, he wasn't was hidden. There, like yeah. I don't know how you don't account for that safety making some sort of move on the ball. Minka didn't turn his hips one time. He moved one direction, and it was towards where the ball got thrown, intercepted it, and ran to the end zone. It looks like what if like I told if I told my son to like throw it to that guy, like my six year old, like here you got to throw it to this guy. You just like step back and just throw it in that direction. Like that's what Baker did. He didn't like account for anything else. Go. It was just crazy to me. It was bad. He had he had at least two, maybe three better options on that play. Which which is just bad, but it's killer. I mean, it, like, it sets the tone. You're I don't down get how I don't get how. I'm sure that he had a clue pre-snap that Minka was gonna do something else, right? Like, so he he made a read based on the coverage of what he thought the defense was gonna do, and that Harrison Bryant was gonna be open, you know, on the slant up the seam. And this so, is like, you explaining it away. You said you didn't know how, but here you are. So I'm assuming that this is what happened. Is yeah. he just, you know, uh, thought Minka was going to cut over to the sideline or whatever. But Baker didn't look him off. He didn't do anything other than go right to Harrison Bryant, take his drop, and throw it immediately on the slant. And I just don't see how you can't make any mental adjustment post-snap in the NFL. Like, you can't – I don't think you can be a long-term successful NFL quarterback if you're not able to make those sort of small adjustments post that and I hopefully that will develop better like as he has more time in the system but every week that goes by I get a little less confident that that's going to happen yeah it seems fair with everything that we're doing to cater to Baker with the bootlegs and he's clearly more comfortable out of the pocket when he can see the field better so do we want to it seems like he can't do that and he's best suited for backyard style football do we want to talk about baker because th- there's been a lot of people who were talking about baker and he ended up getting benched i mean he was hurt and well he was benched, but not really it yeah. wasn't he wasn't people are saying benched. he's benched so, right. bullshit. so he, he wasn't benched he, he he got pulled in case keenum case keenum came in and i was 100 percent supportive of that decision like he was just getting beat up he was hurt there's no point like if we come back to win that game, we're going to have to throw the ball. Our quarterback is just getting plastered when we try to drop back and throw the ball. So, like, it's not a winning combination to have your quarterback that's hurt doing yep. that. Yep. 
There's been a lot of talk from people who are ready to give up on Baker. How worried should we be about Baker? Because from my perspective, he's on his fourth I'm fourth offensive coordinator in three years. He didn't have a preseason. Like he didn't get to work with Stefanski until literally they got to training camp, like in person. Didn't have any live action. I don't think we have to do any. Real I'm hard. still like giving him like a, a fair bit of leash at this point. I don't think we have to have a real conversation about Baker until after this season. Like once you've had a whole season like under your belt, like that's enough of an evaluation yeah. period to yeah, like we'll, we'll, have like an to make an assessment but we'll, like th- our front office and Kevin Savansky will know how they feel about Baker Mayfield by the end of this season yep where we're sitting now we're four and two yeah I don't give a shit how Baker Mayfield's playing no. if we still win football games no yeah no I agree completely but Michael I want to hear your answer if you had to answer the question how do you feel about Baker Mayfield Oh, I feel very shaky about that situation right now. Um, I I was very interested in how this game was going to go because I knew he was going to have to make some throws. And it went about as poorly as you could have could have scripted it as far as that goes. Like I knew that for us to beat the Steelers, he was going to have to keep them honest and like beat them downfield. And we I mean, part of that's the protection. There's a lot of factors, but Baker didn't make the plays that he needed to make, and that's pretty like plain and simple from from watching the game. So, I I feel like we took a couple steps back in my optimism for Baker at you know this week in particular. But it, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm not trying to pull the plug. There's no, I think he's you're, by far. You're not on the Case Kingdom train. No, <laughs> not at all. No, I think it's by Stefanski's far. Stefanski's won with him before. <laughs> I, uh, Case Keenum ha- might have had worse throws than Keenum, Baker in this yeah. game. Oh actually. my goodness! Yes, no. yeah. Miss some what? I mean, was reading the field pretty well, but just like physically was not able to yeah. to well, get the ball. Whatever's going the- on with Baker right now is completely in his head and not within his like physical ability. Because I remain firm that the most important thing about a quarterback, especially if you have a good coach and a good offensive coordinator and a good quarterbacks coach is going to be how accurately can you throw the football. And Baker Mayfield has shown many, many times that he can throw the ball accurately. His his mental acumen is affecting his mechanics, and he'll sail it. Right now, he is feeling the effects of everything that you're saying, Matthew, the coaches, the offensive coordinator changes, the having no offseason. I think at the end of this season – my hope is that we're going to see a completely different Baker Mayfield than we're seeing right now, and it'll be more like the Baker Mayfield that is in a comfortable system that knows what he's doing and is going to be able to let it rip like the Baker Mayfield we saw in the first place because he knows exactly what plays we're running, and he knows exactly where he can and cannot go against the defense. And that's going to be a coaching preparation thing that he's going to step into, whereas right now he still feels uncomfortable and is seeing the shadows and ghosts of Freddie Kitchens. I would be willing to bet a lot of money that the Browns use the fifth-year option on Baker Mayfield. After oh, this yes. Season. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have bet my entire life savings on that at the beginning of the season, and I would right now again, still, even after that game. I think there's very little chance 
I think there's a good chance too that we're gonna feel a lot better about Baker too because the back we play the Giants and the Jets in the back half of our schedule. There's like how great like, is that gonna the be? Schedule, the right schedule, right when we need it, when we need like yeah, two wins little, to just ice out the season and that little jolt of confidence. And they're both gonna want to <laughs> lose. Giants, Jets. They're yep. both gonna like try to lose those games. I mean, I think the schedule plays out. You know, and there's some favorable matchups down the stretch. You know, we play the Jaguars. We play, you know, we play a handful of games that, you know, you would think Baker Mayfield should be able to perform well in. And I think that's going to help as well. His confidence as well as, um, you know, our perception of him. So, so, and then we'll see, how, we'll see how he does in the playoffs. And we'll, so. well, we'll, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll really see how he does right after the Giants-Jets games when we play the Steelers in the final week of the season. The, and I wonder what, I, I, I think that, Michael, you were saying that the difference is going to be how Baker Mayfield plays for that final game. Um, do you think that there's anything else that is going to lead us to a victory in that final week? Because if we win that game, I mean, looking at the rest of our schedule, odds are we're in the playoffs. Well, what's interesting is the Steelers might not need to win that game, but we it might be valuable to us. You they'll, know, They'll the want to win that game for that very reason. The way it's going right now. Um, Although there is only one... One bye week now How for the playoffs. So if they're if they're in the in the fight for the number one seed, it, it might matter. matter. It could matter a lot. That's yeah. true. But what if it didn't and they put Mason Rudolph in? And Miles Garrett just owned him. I, so Miles Garrett, Garrett had had one. one Miles Garrett had one pass rush against Mason Rudolph, and he went full bull rush. He was trying his hardest to get there. I'm not saying he doesn't try his hardest on other plays, but he like it was a meaningless dug, play in the football game. Dug extra deep, yes, he to did to try to get to Mason Rudolph. And uh, there was after this whole incident occurred last season, there was some talk from like Joe Thomas and some other people in the NFL that were just saying like Miles Garrett's, I know him, and some, mm-hmm. and he's a sweet guy. I just hope this doesn't take away this whole incident doesn't take away from his desire to play the game and play aggressively, and that in particular speaks to the fact that it has not, which I love. It was I, I late in the fourth quarter. I can't and affirm that highly enough, deep. Miles. I just wonder, destroy Mason. I wonder Rudolph. what conversations what a Miles had with like any like sports psychologist or like whatever this week because like. Miles like probably had to like do this weird balance of like I want to get my rev- you know like make something significant happen in this game without like being overly aggressive like yeah. and you know even resembling any of the over aggression that exemplified itself on the field last year like it's like got to be it had to be such a weird game to prepare for for, well, for you, Miles just like mentally well you hear about that from players all the time is like. I'm trying to get into this mental headspace of being a warrior on the field yeah. and then like leaving that headspace and like being that like split person who yeah. Michael Strahan has to be the best at that in the entire world. That uh, guy is on good morning America every morning, <laughs> like with the gap in his teeth. Good morning, America. He's so sweet, but he was an absolute animal. Just so like pleasant and like warming, yes. but then just destroying people. It's on amazing. Sundays. I couldn't imagine. Um, all right. Um, anything else that you guys saw about the game? Michael, I know you rewatched the game. Yep. I'm interested. You've talked about a lot of different things. Is there anybody that if someone didn't rewatch the game, they wouldn't have seen somebody on the Browns offense, something good, somebody no. that popped 
Someone no. that looked good on the Browns offense or defense. Someone that popped and looked great. The only person that looked okay was Dontrell Hilliard during garbage time. Like, yeah, I remember the, that. I saw that. That that was it. But that's not really worth noting. I mean, the the biggest thing to me was those hinge plays that we've talked about a few times. The fourth downs. I mean, we were zero for three on fourth downs. You convert one of those, it's fine. You know I what? Mean, I, you know what I want to point we, out. What would you like to point out, Matthew? Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, this is shot <laughs> the f up, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> I just, Go ahead. I just totally interrupted you. Uh, but you got a really strong train of thought, so let's let's ride it. Don't lose it. We were in third down passing plays, and Andy Janovich was in there as as our our single running back, staying into pass block. That that's because um, Kareem Hunt can't pass block. That's not true. No, Kareem, Kareem Hunt's a good pass blocker. Kareem Hunt's a much better pass blocker than Nick Chubb is. That's Nick Chubb can't pass block. That's true. You're right. It's just interesting to me, like that is a choice that we made, made us slightly less dynamic on those plays, more predictable, kind of a more conservative selection. How do we feel about that? I feel like that. Yeah, no, it makes sense. But we had to be. I mean, we were just getting dismantled, like from the offensive line to defensive line like we had to do everything we could to give baker an extra think second you, to think complete you're doing a pass. that when you're trying to build a little bit more of a cocoon for your quarterback yeah we, yeah like, but does it but does it like end up it can end up working against you right where you basically give the steelers you allow them to play like the way they're trying to play free reign yeah. to just pin their ears back and come whereas because if you, what are they worried about andy janovich taking it 80 yards probably not Probably not. The way that the Steelers this entire game pinned their ears back and flew like a missile to the ball whenever we were putting it anywhere makes me think that there's a lot of opportunities for gaps in their defense to bait them into doing the things that we want them to do. Um, and and I to your point, I think that like Kareem Hunt would be someone that that could do that. Yeah. Um, it just feels like we, it would make them pause. It would make them adjust how they, how they attack us. If they're worried about that guy in the backfield leaking out. And why would we be on our heels with all of these offensive weapons? It's a, it's a good question. Yeah. Like we should be driving at them. A quick out, like quick outs, anything wide receiver screens, exactly like you're saying. We should be able to do that quickly and let our athletes move in space and trust our athletes. If, yeah. we, if we can't win at the point of with, attack. With how many athletic tight ends we have, I feel like we could, we could run like a doubles or trips formation out to the side with a tight end in there, run a quick screen, let one of the tight ends kind of lead block and just go. I mean, it feels like you'll be able to get pretty cheap yards. And at least slow down the pass rush where they have to think about it. How many were there many screens in this game? Did we run we, many we, screens? We, we, tried, screens. Of we, we tried, ran a handful of screens. And we tried to run a few more <laughs> that got blown up because they were just coming so fast. Yeah. Um the the plays that really like bother me that I'm still thinking about in this game are those fourth down plays. Like the fourth and like short where we just got completely dominated let's, and blasted Let's, r- let's off run the line behind Chris Hubbard. Yeah. And why did we try that three times? I mean, it 
it was ugly. It wasn't even close. Like it wasn't like, oh, we got right up to the line and they like stopped us just short. We lost yardage on every one of those plays. I think I laughed on the last two. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. It was really sad. Because it's so sad. It's Cam Hayward against Chris Hubbard, and I know who's gonna win that. It was really sad. Um and so fourth and one. I did a little research today. What do you think is like the historical percentage of conversion on fourth and one place? Oh, I bet it's over 50%, probably less than 60. I'm going to go like 57. Higher. Really? It's 66%. 66% on fourth and one or less. Okay. Historically. Um, Teams should go for it more often. Oh well, a lot. <laughs> Which is actually like I really like. Just about like in every in every field position, you should probably go for it. If you recall, we were on our own thirty yard line in the second half, and we went for it after yeah. that Jarvis Landry weird play where they called it incomplete, the challenge, and then he was short by yeah. half a yard. We went for it there, and that was the first of the embarrassing fourth and ones. But that's a gutsy call. I mean, we weren't we were down 24 to 7 at that particular point. So, it wasn't like the game was completely out of hand. But you need to make something happen. But we needed to make something happen. It was the right call. Like I am very glad that we went for it there. I don't know that the play call was the right call necessarily given how the Steelers defensive line was dominating us. But to go for it, I was really grateful for. So that was the first, and then we had two more possessions after that that resulted in fourth downs that we weren't able to convert. But if the, just that is such a incriminating, like you you can't win football games. You cannot win football games whenever, like the NFL average is converting two thirds of those. On average, we should be converting two of those three and we completely whiffed on all three of them. We weren't even close. It wasn't wasn't close. close. There wasn't a single one that was close. And on the season, do you know what we what how our well, fourth down conversions have been? Well, we were 0 for three. So against not just the fourth and one. So the percentages are a little bit different than what I presented. But fourth down conversions overall in the season. I mean, we were 0 for. I know we've been 0 for six. I don't know how many we've converted. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say we're like three three for ten. That's exactly right. Really, we are three for ten on the season, which is not great. Not great. Um, and the NFL average right now, fourth down conversions, 58%. And we're three for 10. And you want to know what our defense has given up on fourth down conversions on the other side? We've been up A against, lot. we've been up against 11. We're, we're not great in like short yardage. We've given up 10 of 11. Yikes. Like, think about, do, do we think that like, well, we're, we're four and two. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Do we do we view that with optimism or not? Like, do we think that's going to regress to the mean? Like, we're going to be better and our defense is going to be better, I and think, it's just like kind of bad luck, or are we just bad at those? Because we shouldn't be bad at those on offense. On, that's the way I feel about it. I think we'll, on we'll defense, regress to we're the not, mean on offense. We're not great on short yardage, but might like just be ten of eleven is, is ten of eleven is pretty bad. <laughs> it's ten really of eleven bad. is pretty bad. It's really bad. It's so, really bad. So we should see those improve, hopefully, picking up going forward but like i i was curious about it because oh for three i was like how often does that happen like what is the like what's normal here and it was clear how bad that really was and then i was like oh my gosh our defense is atrocious in those situations like when we have to get a stop like we don't have the horses to to get the stop so our defense has not been great and we our turnover the fact that we have been forcing turnovers has 
been the like bell the what has grace. helped us on yeah. defense yes. because we have not been just a line up and stop them type of defense. Well, yes, but to to speak to that point exactly like you were talking about earlier, Michael, of saying that like how or Matthew, I think you were saying how fickle an NFL game is, and there's these crucial plays. Like fourth down is those yeah. crucial plays. And the fact that we're overcoming being that bad on offense and on defense on those crucial plays speaks something encouraging to the makeup of the rest of our team and how well we're producing well, throughout the rest of the game to be able to overcome things like that. Yeah, another, you know, those are like, you know, finite, like specific swing moments in games. But another thing that we've done really really well is red zone execution this year we're in the like the top three in the league as far as like red zone touchdown percentage. which i have no idea how those two things don't correlate more highly well you have more like, you have more it's it's a larger sample size you have more plays like in the red zone you know what i mean like you might end up having like a, ha- a couple sets of downs in the red zone in which you can score and you're talking about a finite set of you know 10 plays on fourth down that you like have to execute on and it's it's just a different it's a different mindset when you've got run and pass like open I think people you know it's it it's a little di- contrary a to scenarios. popular belief on fourth down you also have run and pass open yeah that was <laughs> on actually fourth a really and one which we really, needed to which we needed to do like I found this so when I was doing this research for like what the conversion percentage is historically on on fourth and one and less, there's a really interesting study from like, I think Yale or somebody, whether somebody passing did, or running is the way to go. The type of plays and like the success of the quarterback sneak is like far and above any Everything other else. play. It's like 82% well, like, it's conversion so percentage. It's just so easy. I know, but it's like a run play, you know, apart from a quarterback sneak has like a 60% yeah. conversion rate. But a quarterback sneak has like an 82% conversion rate on fourth and one. And a pass play is well, like you, 53% I think it also depends on who your quarterback is. Like if Ben Roethlisberger on a quarterback yeah. sneak and Cam Newton on a quarterback sneak is a totally – Then Drew Brees. Then Drew yeah. Brees. And it's a totally different – like a team will only run it if they have one of those quarterbacks. And I don't know if Baker Mayfield is that guy. I, they I hardly wish, ever – they hardly ever have him quarterback. I wish he was, but he he's not. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's an assumption or if that's something that they like have tried in practice and they're just like, yeah, you're not good at it. It's a good question. <laughs> I've, a good I've, question. Certainly, just like, I've certainly assumed it. Yeah. <laughs> I would not assume he was good at that. Uh, that's hilarious. Although it doesn't seem like our front office and our, and our team to, to make assumptions. It seems or like. Or to ignore the success rate of yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they know. Yeah. They know that that's super successful. Um, maybe it makes sense to have like a big old backup quarterback like that you can Blake throw Bell. In. Like yeah. get Blake Bell in there. Yeah. Who's, he's on the Cowboys. He's a tight end for the Cowboys yeah. or something. Just sign him up, or put just, him as third string on the depth chart, and just let him roll. Yeah, I guess if they know that it's coming, is it? But he could, less- al- he could also hand off, or he could roll out and like throw an easy dump. Ball. like yeah it's true. you're never asking your quarterback to really do anything complicated on fourth down are you okay so we've talked about it is a lot of really quick and really yeah. intricate movements though like to get the snap and then hand the ball off cleanly like those are things that you need a lot of a lot of reps in but so we talked about like how it seemed like all the little things went in the Steelers favor the as I rewatched I remembered 
even laughing at this whenever we watched it live. Terrence Mitchell drop? No. Near the end of the game, on the other side of the game, the Steelers, I think on their last touchdown, it might have been their second to last, it didn't matter. It was, you know, icing on the cake for them. Uh, they snapped the for the extra point and the holder completely fumbled the whole thing and like hardly got it in place but somehow got it in place and they still executed a perfect extra point and it was just like it was just so indicative of the yep, day yep that's you know of course exactly how this day's been going i feel like this is the place that i could say this we got a bunch of browns fans listening i was so pissed off on twitter reading arguments between browns and steelers fans and Steelers fans being like, you cocky Browns fans, like, get get in your place. And then showing, like, pictures of Antonio Brown, like, stomping on <laughs> Spencer, Zastig, Lanning. Spencer Lanning or whoever it was. Yeah, I think and it I, was Spencer Lanning. And I'm just like, I don't understand how someone could yeah. be that. James, James Harrison just headhunting Colt McCoy and Muhammad yeah. Mahazakwa. Yeah, for sure. But, like, why can people be that mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I've been cheering for the Browns my entire life. And I was nine the only time we went to the playoffs. Like, I just – I'm excited about our 4-1 our and one team. And and now, all of a sudden, we just get stomped on. Did and, like, the Steelers fans are just – they're fans, obviously. Okay, I'm not, like, a comedian. I'm not a funny person. You're not. No. At all. You've said some funny things every on the podcast, Every once in a while. Though. Every once it's, in a while. He's I get funny there. like Dad's funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I made someone like roll laughing the other day whenever I told them that just this past week, Baker Mayfield eclipsed Ben Roethlisberger as the winningest quarterback at First Energy Stadium. No, it's 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 pathetic. People like love laughing at the Browns. It is it is the most when I tell someone if I'm like trying to like have a good conversation with somebody and I know that they like football, I just talk about my unending enthusiasm for the cleveland browns and it's so disarming they they find it so amusing yep um all right well let's move on to some other browns news outside the oh, game can, can i say one thing yeah yeah for sure. before we move on and it's kind of outside of the you know what happened on the field my biggest thing coming out of this game you know we got stomped week one against the ravens we mm-hmm. had a short week to play the Bengals. It's kind of like the Bengals are our elixir. Oh, it's like it's like you. our hangover cure. Thank the, you. The Bengals. So I'm much. so glad that they're like on the other side of this game. Um, so that's you know looking forward to that. But with the Browns, like in the years past, you know we've never we've never had a winning season. We haven't been sitting at four and two in forever. But I want to see the mindset of this team and how they go forward, right? What I've seen within the last 24 hours after the game, post-game press conferences, Stefanski not throwing anyone under the bus, taking some ownership. Everything I heard from the players, it felt like they were singing from the same hymnal, saying, that was a bad game, we got beat, we're moving on. You have to own it, you have to learn from it. I think that was the quote. Like, every single one of them said about the exact same thing. Like, we got beat, we're moving on. Like, it, it was one week. It was a bad game. I want to see them put that into action. And the other thing that was really encouraging to me, people like to talk about how Odell Beckham's a problem and he's emotional and, like, they like to just, like, latch on to any single little thing that he does. Why do people But that dude so cares so much and wanted to win. And what I saw him doing on the sideline in the middle of that game was trying to rally everybody together 
to pull this thing off. He wasn't complaining and moaning and like, like pissed off that he wasn't getting the ball or anything like that. He was bringing everybody. He was being a leader. Yes. And I, those are signs that are very, very positive to me. And I want to see how, what that translates to like in the ensuing weeks. Like, are we able to put this off on the side and keep moving forward? Or will some of the negative effects of this mentally like, you know, build upon themselves and we start to see, you know, some like some issues. Like, and that's what I want to see with this new coaching staff. In post game, all the players had similar things to say about OBJ. They all said he was trying to rally the troops. He's he's being a leader. He's like getting it. Yeah, he was like, this yeah. is a completely normal emotional yeah. reaction from a football yeah. player yeah. to try to get their team to win. You're going to lose yeah. football games. It's a matter of how you're going to handle like the the situations like this where you come up against somebody that just cleans your clock. Like, are you going to get better through it, or are you going to like get down on yourself? Yeah. And I want to. I, I feel pretty confident in this coaching staff that we're going to head in the right trajectory, but that remains to be seen. And so that's that's where my focus is now. I'm not like so worried about what we did or didn't do necessarily this week. I want to see how we react going forward because we're in a great position That's what it's throughout all about. the rest of the year. That's what it's all about. You got to respond. We're 4-2. F- and two. Keep it moving forward. Yep. Also, with the OBJ thing, it's great to have an offensive player who is viewed as a leader that can step up and be vocal in a situation like that because Baker largely didn't have a leg to stand on to like rally the troops in that moment, even if he wanted to. like It would just... It just falls would fall flat. dead, yeah. yeah. Um, so to have OBJ and have multiple people on our offense, that can I do mean, that. Joel Batonio can <laughs> get up there and just come on, come on, go, dog pound, go the Browns. <laughs> Here, come on, the Browns. <laughs> little Paul Brown there for you. We need to have like that little video clip of him like trying to do his video uh, segment. Oh, why do, why do you guys make me do this? You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not good at this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's so relatable, too, because yeah. it's like I can't imagine standing in an empty studio being like, all right, get hyped. I don't know. I would actually really like that. I, I think it would be, be a lot of fun. I would be good. I, I would be more on the – Matthew. Would, Mark would be the furthest on the Baker Mayfield side would, of the spectrum. I would feel like the Matthew biggest be, moron. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew would be Matthew more be, on the Joel Batonio side of things. Oh, for sure. Matthew would be full Batonio, no doubt. You never um, could never go full Batonio. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be in the Christian's Kirksey like cheese zone where like it was like I'd be trying real hard, but it might not like, be coming off quite not right. Not yeah. quite believable. Yeah. Dog check. <laughs> um all right. Well let's talk about some other things. Brown's news off the field. Um uh, certainly a headline was Mary Kay's headline about David Njoku that he still wants to be traded before that um November third deadline. <sighs> I'm sure his agent wants him too. That's, yeah, that's fine. People don't like Mary Kay. I don't like Mary Kay. But nevertheless, Mary Kay is who who we have. And that is Brown's news. And Joku's a talented player. He could probably get more playing time somewhere else. Like, I kind of get the situation. He's also under contract through next year and doesn't have a whole lot of power to do anything. And 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 he's on a winning team. So, like, I I don't really feel that sorry for the guy. And Njoku might want to be traded. He, he, he came out and said that he didn't tell Mary Kay he wanted to be traded. He didn't say he didn't want to be traded. Like, yeah, dude, dude might want to be traded. He's, he needs to produce in order to make a productive career in the NFL. Yeah. And he hasn't done it yet this far. Yeah. And he probably needs to do it. So maybe he wants a new scenario. Yeah. I don't know. My question is, what would anybody give for David Njoku right now? 
Very little. And what are the odds that even but if David we don't... But David Njoku doesn't care about that. Neither does Drew Rosenhaus. Like, he's under his contract as it is right now. No, he, he, d- just... he doesn't. But what I'm saying is he's more valuable to the Browns, just like being a, a third-string weapon than what we could potentially get back for him. Absolutely. So like the likelihood of him being traded is 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 minimal, but my question is: He's due six million dollars next year. What are the odds that he's on the roster? We will see. It's not guaranteed. He is not guaranteed that fifth year option only for injury. I think right that coming out at the end of this year, based on how Austin Hooper's contract, which we've talked about on the podcast before, based on how Austin Hooper's contract is negotiated we are going to make a decision if we are going to go with Austin Hooper or we're going to go with David Njoku. And I think that's what we told him to quell all of these I think demanding that, to be I think traded. That was after next year, though. After next year. We, we can get out of Austin Hooper's deal after two years. After pr- two? Pretty cleanly. Yeah. And that would that's be when Njoku's deal was up. Oh, I thought it was after this year. No. But, no. but isn't it better for David Njoku to stay, make the $6 million, which – and prove that he is the guy in an offense that is clearly tight end focused in Cleveland, then roll the die and decide I'm going to go to some place where I won't be featured as a pass catching option. You know, like, well, he'll make the $6 million if he's on the roster the first day of the league year, regardless of if he's on the Browns or if he's on somebody else's roster. He wants a, if he gets traded. David Njoku at this point wants a chance to be featured a little bit more so that that next contract, like I think he is, is bigger. Yeah. Which Would is you? fair. Which okay. is fair. Like I don't really fault, fault Drew Rosenhaus for trying to push for a trade given the current situation. But I also don't feel that sorry for David Njoku for finally playing on a winning team and having a offense that's kind of tight end centric and, like honestly, and, and he also got hurt. He also got chart. hurt yeah. and like hasn't had that many playing opportunities. Like, just do your job, and like if you do well, you'll everything's gonna work out fine for you. Like you're not in a tough spot right now. Like yeah. show, keep showing up, and you're gonna make six million dollars next year, and you're gonna be just fine. Everybody likes your physical traits. You're super young, and you're still gonna be twenty six. Yeah, like you're you're gonna have your opportunity. This is like this is one of those things that I don't even like talking about on the podcast because I feel like it gives it more credence as like a as a story in the public. We're we're a, we're a huge I platform here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hate, I hate, I hate. One of the things you got to realize, Michael, is a bunch of Browns fans are listening to our podcast. They've heard it all anyway. They know and they're interested I wanna, to hear I what we per- have to say. I don't want to perpetuate a conversation that I don't think necessitates a lot of concern or. Okay. I actually want to talk about this because this is something we got to work out. It should be off the air, but let's do it right here. Um, <laughs> if you are. If, if you want to change the way that Browns fans view and consume their news media to sure. not give more power and flame to Mary Kay Cabot and Tony Grossi, don't yeah. you think? This is the platform that you have. And quite frankly, it's better than most random Browns fans who feel this way. Don't you think that you want to say these things to the people as opposed to being dismissive? Yeah, but I'd much rather make it a s- short, succinct point and move on. All right, what I'm trying there to say. we go. And now we're moving on. Um, Any chance Njoku gets traded before the trade deadline? I don't think so. It would have to be a pretty good deal. I mean, I, I don't think we? the chances I don't, are. I don't think anybody's going to give up anything that would be valuable enough. For I don't us think the chances are good. No. Um, and Njoku seems like a good dude who's just going to stick around. He's going to be fine. 
Yeah. yeah. He's going to be nice about it. You got to be a real dick to force a trade. Yep. David Njoku isn't Drew Rosenhaus. No. Um, all right. So one positive thing, another positive thing to take away from this game is we had no large additional injuries moving on. And I'm pretty sure that's true. We had a couple minor things, but nobody that was. Good gracious. I hope Ronnie Harrison can come back from that concussion. We knew. Quickly. We knew. Yes. And or Carl Joseph, like, like having our safety room be Sheldrick Redwine and Andrew Sandejo is not scary. Mm. It's very scary. It's not the options that I would prefer. It's tough to be pigeonholed into that situation. All right, let's look forward to the Bengals game. Obviously, in week two, we played the Bengals 135-30. to Largely felt like we controlled that entire game. Score looked closer than it actually felt while we were watching. Um, but the Bengals have looked pretty good. I'm not going to lie. The Bengals have been no slouch, proving that they deserve to be in the AFC North. Um, what do you guys think moving forward in this game? What are the things that you feel like we need to do to win? And what are the things that you feel like the Bengals could do to pull it out? It's a shame we didn't talk to Grandpa this week. We'd be hearing more about the like second coming of Joe Montana. <laughs> he's all about Joe Burrow. <laughs> they're they're one four and one, he and loves, he still loves himself some Joey Burrow. He loves the guy, which I mean, everybody does. Let's be fair. Um, Can't blame Grandpa for that. Honestly, it's gonna be interesting to see. I mean, the the Bengals continue to be okay through the air. That's where the Browns are the most susceptible. Um, they were able to move the ball on us the first game we played. But we just ran the ball straight down their throats. And I think DJ Reader's still hurt. I think that we will be able to run the ball and control the game, you know, pretty consistently throughout. The Bengals defense isn't great. I mean, they they ended up giving up a, a comeback to the Colts that we beat the week before. The Colts offense is not clicking, shall we say. Um, Bengals might just be just what the doctor ordered yeah, for the Browns the coming, we need. Coming, coming off yeah. the a really tough division game, and then you get a really easy division game relatively. Yeah, it is. It hopefully will be nice, but they can put points up. Like they can Burrow can throw the ball. You give them a little bit of space. Like they have receivers out there to challenge like our relatively weak, you know, safeties and linebackers over the middle. So I, I it will probably be a fairly high scoring game like i would imagine like they're gonna put points up like i don't think that i don't expect the browns to show up and just completely railroad the Bengals. is what i is what i'm if if we get if we get ronnie harrison back our secondary should be in a better place than it was in week two um browns have just come off playing maybe the best two defensive lines front sevens in the nfl in back-to-back weeks which i think is kind of the, the overshadowing the, the fact that we just went one and one like it hasn't felt dominant like some of those other weeks have um, so going up against the Bengals will be will be real nice we should have more opportunities to run the ball um, less worry in the trenches and the Bengals offensive line is not good at pass blocking so we, we should have some opportunities to get at Joe Burrow I just want some positive steps from Baker Mayfield that's what I think I'm going to look for more than almost anything. That's pretty much every week, though. I'm excited. That, I'm excited <laughs> that we're getting to play that. the Bengals. I love how this schedule has fallen for us. It like, has worked out like, nicely. 
we, the cadence we, has been good. We get that first Ravens game out of the way. Like, win or lose, it, you're okay. It's week what one. If, what if we actually split with the Steelers and the Ravens? Then We're going to win the next two games, you're saying? Yes. Like if Which we, split we lost with both the of them. ones at their home. Yes, if we it's split, the two hardest. If we yeah. split with them, we are going to be a f- engine full of steam. We'll have eleven rolling. Win. We'll into probably the have playoffs. Ele- We'll probably have eleven wins at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, for sure, that is what we all predicted at the beginning of the season. If that actually happens, the we'll, hardest games yeah. remaining on our schedule are those next two and the Titans, probably. Yeah, at the Titans is definitely the hardest game left. Um, well, but those with are our, the Ravens. And those are our two hardest games on the schedule. Are our two losses? Yep. That we we're through it. That is a good way to look at it. Third, we is got probably absolutely the destroyed in those games. Here's but, here's the thing: if you take the mental aspect out of it, which I feel like being four and two, it's easier to take the mental aspect out of it. Like you don't feel as like beat up and downtrodden and beat down. Like it really doesn't matter if you lose thirty-eight to seven or if you if you lose a close game. Like I feel like this team still feels pretty good about itself being four and two, where they're at. Yeah. So it doesn't like the week to week fluctuations of oh we lost by thirty points to the Steelers. It's like, who cares, dude? Yeah. Go hope, go, go play so. somebody else. I hope so. So we play the Bengals next week. Then I'm really really interested in the Raiders game in two weeks. It'll be interesting to see how the Raiders play this week against. The Tampa. Tampa. We're about to call this Tampa game. Bay Buccaneers. That's right. Yeah. Let's go ahead. And move on to the lines. We can. Let's. Just, we'll do it out of order. We'll do that one first. Um, so to give everyone an update, Mark is still in the lead. This is the second week um, in the history of our podcast that he's in in the lead. Um, he's ahead of two by two games actually ahead of myself and Matthew. So um, the three games we're calling this week. Um, we'll go ahead and jump to that Sunday night game that we just mentioned which is Tampa Bay heading to Las Vegas to play the Raiders. The Bucks favored by three in this game, which just an interesting couple of teams. Like, I don't think we – there's just – it's. I feel like it's hard to read each one of those teams. Um, Bucks favored by three. Mark, who do you have in that game? I was saying before we started the podcast that there are no two teams – that I feel less certain about predicting their performance from a week-to-week basis. Um, And part of that is because I don't really know how – I don't know if I buy the Bears even still, um, and they beat the Bucs a couple weeks ago. Um, But the Raiders, they've had a really hard schedule. Um, And they're three and two. Um, They they beat the Saints. They beat the Patriots. They beat – the Chiefs, obviously. Um, and so Tampa Bay favored by three points. I'm going to go with John Gruden and the Raiders. I think that I've been ridiculously impressed with them this season. Um, Derek Carr's been playing really, really well. Um, and I don't know if I fully trust Tampa Bay's team. Looks good on paper, but their offense hasn't produced in the way that I would like to see. And uh, I think Tom Brady is a smoke show that was created by Bill Belichick. So you're going with the Raiders. I am. Matthew. I'm going to go with Tampa. That Tampa defense has, I think, been the standout group in the NFL. Has kind of surprised people the most is how dominant that Tampa Bay defense has been. It's kind of funny because they were pretty 
freaking good last year. They were year. pretty freaking good last year, but the year before they were awful, and they've got a bunch of no names on the back end of that defense. Their linebackers are great. Their D-line's really solid. They just traded for Steve McClendon from the Jets, which how excited do you have to be if you're Steve McClendon? Derek Carr is <laughs> like, slinging get, the ball now. Derek Carr is throwing the ball downfield. That's, He's an entirely new man. That's fine. I'm I'm still going with the I'm still going with the Bucks. Their offense is starting to get healthy too. They've they've been missing some of their weapons on the outside for a while. This is a weird game because both of these teams are coming off of games that like they're riding highs right now. I well, mean, the Bucks just crushed the Packers. The Raiders and are coming the Raiders off a bye. Co- are coming off a bye. <laughs> well, and they beat the Chiefs. Yeah. I mean, that's as high of a win as you can get right now in the NFL, I think. And so, like, I kind of feel like I'm take it's like recency bias to pick either one of these teams. Like, I'm hesitant to pick either one. Um, I just like, honestly, I, as much as it pains me to say it, the coaching job that John Gruden has been doing. Like, that's, that's really the way I feel about this. And um, I feel like Bruce Arians is a little bit, you know, more hit and miss. I do feel good about the Bucks defense, um, but I'm just kind of arbitrarily deciding to side with John Gruden on this one and going with going with the Raiders since the Bucks ha- are, are are favored on this one. So I'm going to go with the Raiders as well. I love it. And that that's the Sunday night game. Let's backtrack to the Thursday night game, which is the New York Giants against the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles favored by three and a half points. Um, the Giants really suck. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pick the Eagles, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's really anything else I need to say about it. The one interesting point here is um, that the Eagles continue to sustain injuries. Zach Ertz is now out. Miles Sanders is out and will not play in this game. So that definitely puts them behind the eight ball. But I think the Giants are bad enough that they'll still lose this game by more than three and a half points. So I'm going with the, <laughs> go, going with the Eagles. I mean, Andrew Thomas, their first-round pick, number four overall, has already been demoted. To the bench in favor of another rookie, Matt Pert. Matt Pert is taking a spot. Yep. I mean, I this is this is a clean clean sweep. That's rough. That is rough. Uh, the only grouping um, in this entire game that I feel anywhere decent about is the Eagles' defense, Ooh. and they're not great. <laughs> the- <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna go Eagles. Like I I just think. They're they're better. Yeah. Like I can't bet on the Giants right now. This line is at three and a half, and I have a feeling when it comes to Sunday morning, right before this game gets played, the line's going to be like seven and a half. It might. Eight, this thing eight might points. This like, thing might fluctuate. But what's interesting is it opened at seven, and then I think the injuries from the Eagles pushed it down to three and a half. Yeah, I'm going with Philly as well. All right, and that brings us to the Browns at Bengals. Browns favored by three and a half. Um. I feel good about where this team is going to be mentally. The Browns are going to come prepared. I think we are better than the Bengals in just about every facet of the game. And as long as we can keep turnovers in check, I expect us to win by more than three and a half points. So I've definitely got the Browns in this one. I've got to go to the Browns. I mean, this is the best Browns team we've seen. Bengals are still starting a rookie quarterback. I love that we got the Bengals twice in the first seven weeks. With that a, offensive with a rookie line. quarterback against that offensive line, like I will say, I do want to see Miles do like wreck a little bit more havoc than he did in the first Bengals game. Well, it'll be interesting to see on the second matchup, see what he can do. Yep, I think this this falls favorably to the Browns. Browns win by forty five. <laughs> <laughs> 
at Ob- least. Obviously. <laughs> Clearly. Um, yeah, Browns are going to win. Hopefully by more than three and a half. Go Browns. <clears throat> It'll be a good Monday of work next week. Yeah, you'll yeah. be super productive. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening, friends. We really appreciate it. If there is something that you want us to talk about, please send us an email, sinofourfathers at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at sinofourfathers. And as always, thank you to our Tokyo listeners. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.